Hey guys, it's Allison. I am so glad you're here with me. I want to tell you that this podcast, From Weeds to Wildflowers, it's all about resilience. So then it's pretty much about life. And if you've ever experienced life, then this podcast could possibly be for you. I want to put a disclaimer out there first. I am not a therapist. I'm not here to give you advice or to tell you what to do. What I am though is human. Yep, same as you. A human being that has an immense desire to want to help people discover ways to heal. There is so much suffering in this world, some of which stems from outside influences, but most of our suffering comes from within, from our own devices. And that is what worries me the most. I too have suffered, and yes, some of which came by means of my own hands. I would love for you to join me and walk alongside me as we navigate this wonderful, beautiful, sometimes frightening thing we call life. Let's find out what we're made of, and perhaps we can find ways we can do it better. Help me to unearth skills to dig deep in search of proverbial water that heals. Let's learn how to bloom wherever we find ourselves not just where we're planted, and uncover the source of our own innate personal happiness. Come on now, let's do this together. For this episode, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of define where does resilience begin? For me, where does resilience begin? So I sat down with the podcast and asked this question. I believe that the podcast has a spirit. And so in the spirit of the podcast, I wanted to ask what that was. And as I am part of that, it is what is that for me? So the word that kept coming up was love. You know, one of my, I don't know if you want to call it mantras or whatever is lead with love. I think if we had a hell of a lot more love in this world, we wouldn't be in the situation that we are. But regardless, I wanted to go a step further when talking about resilience and where it begins to self-love. So that's kind of what the definition of where does resilience begin for me, it would be self-love. But let's take it back, back to that word love. What does love mean? Before we ever get to the term self-love. So I've looked it up and in most everything, it says that love is a deep and tender feeling of affection or an intense feeling of deep affection. So either way, it's saying that love is a feeling. But as much as I agree with that, I didn't feel it fully defined love. But I did find an article, a Time article, and it was dated February 16th of 2016. Um, a rabbi, David Wolp, wrote this. And in there, he says, it's time to change the definition of the word love. He stated that his love is most generally defined as an intense feeling of deep affection, or in other words, love is what one feels. He proposes that instead, love be defined as a feeling that expresses itself in action. So that to love is to feel and act lovingly. Now that is something I can get behind. I agree. I think love is a feeling with an action. When we're talking about love in general, but I also feel it's the same when we're talking about self-love. 
So as I'm talking about self-love, I just want you to know that I'm not talking about self-love being me taking myself to the spa or telling myself untruths about myself just to make me feel better. Things like that, you know, like going shopping and spending money on things I've denied myself for a long time. Those things would not be in my definition of self-love, but more self-care for some of those things and others, self-deception. Believe me, I've done I've done that throughout my life too. I've deceived myself to make myself feel better. But let's really dig a little deeper into love and self-love. So this definition of love is speaking of love for something or someone. So what if that someone is yourself? Do you think you can define the word love and apply it to yourself. So instead of just saying that love is a deep feeling or affection for somebody, insert your own name there. So if I'm saying this to myself, I'd be saying that love is a feeling of deep affection for Allison. How does that land with you? I will tell you that there have been times in my life a lot of times in my life where that was sticky, ugly, and it felt awful because I didn't have that deep feeling of affection for myself. And then to take it that step further and say a deep feeling of affection and that I acted lovingly toward myself. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I can't even tell you how many times I said terrible things to myself, things that weren't true, and maybe even things that were true. But it's easier to tell beautiful things to other people, at least in my life it has been, than to tell them to yourself. So let's say that again. So instead of it being applied to someone else, Let's put our name in that sentence. Love is a feeling of deep affection for me, for myself. And I act lovingly towards myself. What if we could love ourselves and felt that deep affection, that attachment, devotion, interest, and pleasure in and for ourself, myself. So I just have, I have a question. Do you feel that way and act that way towards yourself as you would a mother, a father, a child, a spouse, a friend, hell, even a stranger? If I'd asked this question 10 years ago, the answer would be a resounding no. Absolutely not. If I'd asked myself this question five years ago, I could have maybe said maybe. I could have said maybe. Two to three years ago, I think I would have said yes. And yet, looking at it now, no, I didn't fully understand what that meant. It's only in the last year that I feel like I've made some huge progress 
in the area of loving myself. I'm finally at a place where I can say that and it doesn't feel yucky. I can say I love me and I come first. I come first before anyone else in my life. I come first before even my children, my parents, a spouse if I had one. I've found that by loving myself fully and in this way, I'm actually able to love others. I love them with totality than I had ever imagined was possible. But you know what? This learning of love for oneself, it doesn't come all at once. No way. It comes in layers. But you know what? In looking at that, even saying those words, I realized that if it came all at once, we would discount it. We wouldn't believe it. It's just like manifesting, right? If you manifest, if you're saying, I'm a billionaire and you're barely making ends meet or not making ends meet, your body would revolt against that statement because you could not believe it to be true. You have no evidence that that is true. Same with self-love. You can't go from hating yourself to all of a sudden saying, oh my gosh, I love myself totally. No way. You wouldn't believe it. But you could perhaps say something more like, I'm excited for the progress I've made at loving myself. Or, I'm excited for the time when I love myself fully. Or something like that. Taking it in a little more of a stepwise fashion. Taking it in a way that your body, mind, and soul can believe it. It takes practice. You know, it. Oh, I don't remember where I read it, but Mae West has a quote. And it goes something like this. It says, I don't just love myself. I'm crazy about myself. And can I tell you, the first time I heard that, I was like, Yes. Yes. That is how I had always hoped to feel about myself. So I want you to get a little comfy because I want to tell you a story. I want to share with you my journey to self-love. And it is a journey. And it's a journey that will be ongoing and forever. I don't think we ever fully arrive at self-love, and we can stop. It's something that needs to be cultivated and fed and nurtured on a daily basis. And let me be honest with you here, in even thinking about this episode and looking at what that journey looked like for me and recounting this journey, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe it, but it triggered me. I cried. I had anxiety and sadness and sorrow for all of the years I spent not loving myself. But also, what's come out of this is a deep sense of gratitude, a huge amount of gratitude and grace for myself 
that I did finally see what was important and that loving myself was essential. You know, I've mentioned before that when we're born, we're put into a box. And it's a box that was created by our caregivers. Now, for you, that may look different than for me. Only you will know. But my box was created by my caregivers, which was a loving mother and father. Now, this box, it happens to be the product of a culmination of both my mom and my dad. Their individual experiences up to this time, as well as their collective experiences. This, you know, up to this point in their lives. Now, I'm child number four, four of six. So three children had already been born to my parents. Three children had already entered their lives. Therefore, they had had some experience, actually quite a lot of experience of being parents by the time I came along. Not only that, but two of the three children that came before me were girls. So not only did they have experience with babies, they had experience with female babies. But regardless, I was different. I I mean, there were some things that were the same, so they knew some things that worked, some things that didn't work, but there was still that portion that was inherently me. Okay, so I'm born and put into this box. I want to insert like a provisio here, that this is my experience and my perception and feelings of my life. And as such, it's not up for debate, not by anyone. This is my interpretation of life as I knew it and as I know it. I can respect the fact that others who know me and have known me since I was a baby, mostly my family, right? They may believe things to be different and may have had a different experience or it looked or felt different from where they stood. And yet, once again, I just want to lovingly say, and I do, I say this from my heart, that it's not up for debate or argument, and that this is only one point of view, but it is mine, my point of view about my life. All right. So let me lovingly tell you of my discovery of self-love. So I'll admit, self-love is not something I recall being taught or even talked about growing up. Maybe it was, but I have no recollection of those words being part of the vocabulary in my household, let alone in my person. But perhaps it was more implied than said. Hell, I was just trying to figure out what love meant in general in a family of six kids. I feel that I learned what love was more from watching and feeling than could have been taught or told to me. So what happened is my estimation of love and how I felt loved was by the things that I did, how good I was, how obedient I was. I felt that if I did good, if I was good, if I did acts of service or the things that I was told to do, you know, even simple things like dust the living room, by the way, that was like one of my jobs, and I still to this day hate to dust, (laughs) but things like being nice to your siblings or getting good grades, going to church, being agreeable, smiling, those kinds of things. If I did those things, I felt loved. 
I felt loved because my good behavior was rewarded with positive words or things. And if I didn't, and I walked outside those lines, the feeling was completely different. It's not fair to say that I didn't feel loved. Perhaps maybe I just didn't understand the messages that were being sent or I misinterpreted them. I could have been making conclusions myself about this, but that's kind of how we learn things growing up. I honestly don't know, but this method of acting correctly and being rewarded was reinforced along the way and actually throughout my life. You know, Pavlov's dog's theory. The closer I resembled the person that I was expected to be, the more positive the reaction, the more positive the feedback, which to me as a child and sadly even as an adult, that equaled love. So my estimation then of love was more transaction-like. If I did this, I got this, right? It wasn't just until recent years. It might have even been, yeah, just the last year or so. Did I have any idea that love as love should be free? And that is the truth. That love should be free with no strings attached. Simple as that. Talk about a mic drop. This overreaching thought process that I had that I had to do something to be loved, follow me into every other relationship in my life. And to give grace, some of my experience might have stemmed from being a highly sensitive person, an empath. I don't, I don't know. So here I am. I developed a blatant misconception of what love was, what that meant. Was it no wonder that I had no concept of self-love? If I didn't even know what love was, I spent my life trying to feel loved, wanting to be accepted by being what I was expected to be or being what I thought people needed or wanted me to be. I don't think I'm alone in this, but this is my experience. I had no idea or thought around loving myself. I had love for my parents, love for my siblings, and for family in general. I had had love for God, and then later for a spouse, and of course, great love for my children, but love for myself? I didn't even have a concept of this. Even saying this out loud, it makes me sad and brings tears to my eyes. For all the years, I had no notion of this, no notion of what self-love was, but in truth, I didn't even know what it meant to be me. I didn't know what it meant to be authentically me. How can you be authentic if you truly have no idea who you are? So I want to give you a little analogy of what it kind of was like not knowing who you are. Because if you've always known who you are, kudos to you. My hat goes off to you. But if you don't know what that's like, let me try to describe it. It was kind of like trying on different coats or different clothes. Trying to wear someone else's coat. Coats that I tried on of every shade and color, shape and size. Never feeling that any of them quite fit. And sure, some of them worked for a time. I wore... Hell, I wore lots of quotes through my life, 
and many of them didn't fit, but that was, that was what I did. You know, I kind of became a chameleon. You know, this coat may have pinched here or there. Maybe it was the wrong length. Maybe it was the wrong fabric color. But I had learned how to wear a coat that didn't quite fit, at least for a little while. And there were times that some of these coats seemed to fit better than others. There were They were close to the right shade, only still to have a big bulky collar or god-awful buttons or too long of a hem. But, you know, not as bad as some of the others that I'd worn. There were elements of a lot of these coats that seemed right, but I hadn't felt one that felt like home. The one that felt like me. You know, in looking back, I could have perhaps taken bits and pieces of these coats that fit better than others and made my own coat, but I didn't. I kept trying to search for that one coat that was me. And what if, if I wasn't this person, the person that I had constructed out of other people's opinion of who I was or should be, then who was I? Who would I be if I was honestly to be myself? Well, that was a scary thought. I really feel that I was almost afraid to find out because what if I wasn't liked or accepted by others? If I was to really be me? And even more importantly, what if I didn't like me? What then? What did that mean, right? You know, it's part of being a people pleaser too. I do see that constant thread throughout my life, trying to please others. What did it mean to please myself? I didn't know at that point in time. So I really feel that there was a lot of trying, air quotes here, trying to discover who I was. Like beneath the surface, my true me was sending out signals. I just wasn't consciously listening. And sometimes I wonder, maybe that's why I have so many interests. Why I've learned how to do so many things and acquired so many skills because of my searching inadvertently for who I was. Or maybe that is part of just me innately having lots of interests. It doesn't matter because I will never be known the fact that I've learned to do so many things. But little did I realize I was barking up the wrong tree because I was looking for who I was in all the wrong places. Anytime that we're looking outside of ourselves for something is because we can't find it within ourselves. And self-love would mean literally nothing until I figured out who I was. So that came first. Because until I had some idea of who I was, how, how on earth was I to even know who to love? So, as luck has it, the true quintessence of me was always there. It's always there. Granted, she'd been buried deep beneath layers and layers of others' perceptions of me, let alone my perceptions of those perceptions of me that I had taken on myself. Cloaks I kept trying on, kept trying to make fit, but finally one day 
she'd had enough. <laughs> she would no longer be ignored, nor would she be silenced. She wanted out. She wanted to be heard. She wanted a voice. This didn't happen, though, until I was around 40. I'd been able to quiet that ember that slowly burned inside of me with things like raising my children, church callings, the needs of the family, as well as any other way I could. Anything and everything for so many years. I just kept myself so busy that I failed to hear the things that my higher self, that ember, was trying to tell myself. And yet, if I could go back and change everything or do anything over differently, I probably wouldn't. I believe that everything happens for a reason and a purpose, because if there is anything that I've learned, it's that everything that I have done, all that I've been through and experienced, has made me into the person I am today. And you know what? I love her. I love her more than I ever considered possible. So this <clears throat> so this journey into self happened at around 40. A lot of things happened at that time I won't recount, but just suffice to say that I really started to listen. To listen and figure out the language that I was hearing. I got still and I was able to hear the things that my higher self was telling me. But still, before any self-love happened, there was another step. I had to find my way to self-acceptance. So once I started listening to myself and finding out who I really was, I had to learn to accept myself, all of my parts. Even those parts I found were dark or sticky or just different than I'd ever known. And to be truthful, some of those were parts that weren't necessarily acceptable to those that were closest to me. That wasn't easy. But things started to change at that time. I found out things about myself that, if I'm honest, were things I already knew about myself and had known for a long time. But things that I had kept hidden and tucked away out of sight because they weren't the way I should be. Or they weren't the way I should think or feel. But, <laughs> alas, guess what? They were there. They were me. They were parts of who I truly am. I realized I'd spent so many years unknowingly hiding these parts of myself, feeling the guilt and shame for those parts of me that were different. And yet, after I was able to accept them for what they were or are, it was the first time I sincerely felt a sense of freedom. Away went the guilt. Away went the shame. And I was on the road to discovering and uncovering who I genuinely was. And one step closer to loving myself. So because I was new, well, okay, not new, but kind of new. I was in a transition state, right? I was still trying on coats to see what fit, but now I was doing it differently. I wasn't going to the stores that everyone else went to. I was going to different stores and looking for coats that spoke to me. 
And upon trying on these different coats, I was now asking questions of myself. Like, how does this feel? How do I think it looks on me? Is the cut right? Is the fabric the color? You know, etc. And yeah, I, I still, even to this day, sometimes I buy coats I'm not sure about. But I buy them anyway. I take it home. I try it on in my own surroundings. I wear it for a while and see how it lands with me. And sometimes I keep coats that I bring home for longer than I should. Still trying to convince myself that it fits or it looks good on me. And maybe it did in truth at one time, but maybe doesn't feel right anymore. But here's the beautiful thing about this, that at any moment in time, I can take that coat. And once I've decided it isn't quite right for me, I can get rid of it. I can give it away. I can donate it to someone else to try on. I don't have to keep it. Or I can choose to keep it longer until I'm sure that it isn't mine. That's the beauty of it. I get to choose. And in this choosing, in this discovering, is where the self-love really came into play. Or shall I say, it still comes into play. I realize that I don't have to be perfect for one. Anybody's estimation of perfect, let alone my idea of what that looks like. Perfection doesn't exist. And you know what? I don't want to be perfect. And all of those parts of me, the ones that lots of people love, the ones that nobody but me loves, all of those parts of me get to exist. All of them get to come out and play. And every single one of them are loved and accepted by me. Also that I am always changing. As I discover new and beautiful things that do reverberate with me, I am constantly learning new ways to love myself. And here's the thing. This is beautiful to me. Because I love myself, you can choose to love me and accept me for who I am or not. And that's okay. I realize I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but I finally know what self-love is. I know what it means. I know how to give it to myself. I know who I am, and that has changed my life from the inside out. And you know what? <laughs> life has only just begun. I can't wait to see what comes next. And you know what? I don't just love myself. I'm crazy about myself.